Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. Welcome to episode 17 of Disability After Dark. Thanks so much for clicking, and I'm really glad you want to shine a bright light on sex and disability with me. I'm really, really excited for this episode. I cannot wait to share with you this latest interview. It's so, so important. So let me tell you all about it right now on Disability After Dark. I put a call out a couple weeks ago for new guests on my podcast. I was asking people to... If they wanted to talk about disability, whether they were disabled or not, what if they wanted to had questions about sex and disability and they wanted a place to ask those questions, they could come and be a guest on my show. If there was anybody living with disabilities who wanted to talk to me, they could do that. I really, was really put out a wide swath of like, I want to talk to you, here's my stuff. I put it on a bunch of message boards asking for guests and I got some really interesting responses. And one of those responses was the interview for today, Um, and I want to tell you all about the person that reached out to me right now. I got an email from a woman named Chris Maxwell-Rose recently. They had seen my my big blast email asking for guests, and they sent me a really sweet, kind email saying, listen, I I saw your call out. I'd love to be a guest. I want to talk about sex and disability as it relates to my recent diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, and I stopped and I read the email and I thought, wow, I never really considered diabetes to be a disability before. So she says, it continues on her email that she wants to talk about pleasure and how her diabetes has affected her pleasure, has affected her sexuality, and she really wanted to go and have that conversation with me, and I was just really excited to talk with her, really, really excited to to have that uh, discussion because I really didn't consider diabetes to be disability in the conventional sense. So I wanted to really talk with her. I wanted to have a discussion and see what we ended up talking about. Chris let me know in her email that she's one of the co-hosts of the Speaking of Sex podcast on iTunes, where they talk about sex quite frankly. Her and her partner talk about sex quite frankly. And I did some research before, before talking with her. I listened to the podcast. It's really great. I highly recommend you go listen to it. She is really, really... I was going to read a bio that she sent me, but I kind of just want to speak from my heart after having spoke with her. She's really honest, sweet, kind, really gets to the core of how diabetes feels for her throughout this interview. Really, really is very frank about what diabetes means for her, what it's done for her, what it's done to her, and how she manages that. And her feelings around shame, sexuality, being a burden, 
disability, being newly diagnosed, all these things come out in the interview, and I'm really excited and proud that she was willing to be so, so vulnerable with me and talk about this with me. So without further ado, here's my interview with Chris Maxwell-Rose right here on Disability After Dark. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming on Disability After Dark. I'm so excited to have you here. I am too. And to be honest, I'm a little nervous because I do a lot of interviews about my subject, about sexuality, but this is the first time I've actually talked about my illness and my disability. So you're popping a cherry for me. That's kind of hot. I'm so, so, <laughs> I'm so, so excited that you want to talk about that because I think a lot of people are living with uh, invisible disabilities and, and illnesses that aren't noticeable are really there's a lot of fear and stigma around coming out with that. And so I'm really happy and honored that you felt comfortable enough to talk to me about it because it's not an easy subject. Talking about your disability and coming out about your disability is never easy. So thank you so much for that. I would trust no one else. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> um, so I kind of gave the audience a little intro into you just before we started talking. Why don't you kind of tell us about the work you do and kind of give us the intro to you? Yeah, so my work for the past, well, really for my whole lifetime has been as a sex educator. And I studied it in high school and college at Vassar College and then moved to San Francisco to be part of the sex education community after college. And 10 years ago, fell in love and started a business with who's now my wife, Charlotte. And we are called the Pleasure Mechanics, and we focus on the physical techniques for sexual pleasure. And this is one of the areas my mind is being blown because, you know, what I did before in a fully able body is not what I'm doing now sexually. And so kind of my work is changing as we speak. Um, but we focus on things like couples massage, foreplay techniques, erotic spanking, because um, we really believe that so many people, we call ourselves pleasure mechanics because more people know about the inner workings of their car than their bodies. So true. And so we really wanted to teach people to really focus on their anatomy and learn how their particular body works to give them sexual pleasure. And this is an area that has well prepared me for my changing health is to pay attention to my body as it is now, my sexuality as it is now, and not have any preconceived notions about what I need to be a sexually fulfilled being. And that's really what we focus on in our online work. And we also host a podcast uh, where we have really candid conversations and encourage people to find their own sexuality on their own terms and really shed a lot of the cultural baggage we have about sexuality because so much of that is such a burden to people. People want to feel, quote unquote, normal when really the only thing in sexuality is that none of us are normal. Yeah. Um, and people feel really, you know, um, hard at... What am I trying to say? People feel like it's hard to find sexual pleasure in their body when really I feel like we're built for it as human beings, no matter what our body is presenting is at the moment. We're built for pleasure. We're built for connection and intimacy. And yeah. if we can focus on that and use that as a roadmap, it, a lot of things get easier for us. It, so that's what I do. That's such a, that was First of all, that's the greatest description of what somebody ever does, ever. <laughs> I'm going to steal it and use it for myself, too. Um, yes. But it was... It, like I think that what you do, and I've, heard, I've listened to your podcast, once you reached out to me, I kind of did a little bit of research on you, and I listened to a few episodes, and I just love how 
really, your podcast is so simple, and there's really not much to it. It's just you guys talking about sex and the body, and I just think, you know, we need more of that. We need more of just simple, basic conversations around sex, and that's kind of what I like to do with my work, is just have a conversation. So, really, our chat today, we haven't scripted anything. I didn't make any notes. I just wanted to bring you on and just talk about stuff, because you, your um when you reached out to me, you said, you know, I'm living with diabetes. I just was diagnosed recently. I went through a major health scare and I want to talk about how my body's changed. And I just thought that's, you know, somebody having the, the guts to come on and, and tell me that without really knowing who I was saying, I I like your stuff and I want to bring this out there to the world. That, that takes, that takes guts. And so can you kind of tell us um, how I'm curious, how your body's changed from, from a year ago and how, your diagnosis has changed your view on sex. Yeah. So it's been a long journey. Um, Diabetes is all over my family. And I was told as a teenager, I was 250 pounds at my heaviest. And I kept being told that type two diabetes was my, my beast to avoid. And that all I needed to do is lose weight and eat less sugar and I would avoid this diagnosis. And so I did that. And I went on this long journey of losing weight and changing my diet and my lifestyle. And I did lose some weight and I felt healthier. But about a year ago, I started feeling really ill and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I kept getting colds and flus and then infections and my teeth started being weird. And I couldn't figure out what it was because I wasn't eating much sugar at all. So I didn't think I was diabetic. And nowhere on my horizon was type 1 diabetes, which is when your pancreas shuts down the production of insulin. Um, And that's a really different diagnosis than type 2 diabetes, which is when you become insulin resistant and your body's producing too much insulin. And type 2 diabetes you can um, treat with just lifestyle and exercise and diet. But type 1 diabetes, your body isn't making a hormone that's essential for your metabolism. And... I kept getting sicker and sicker. And I'm, you know, I have a two year old daughter, I run a business. And so I kept thinking, you know, of course, I'm tired. Society tells me all the time, I'm supposed to be exhausted, I'm supposed to feel like shit. And just that dialogue about, you know, no wonder you feel terrible. That's kind of what you deserve at this point in your life. (laughs) You know, really resonated with me. And I just kept justifying it and taking it one day at a time and drinking less caffeine or more caffeine, um, getting more sleep and I got to the point in June, I ran the pride parade for my little town here and I was out all day in the sun. And at the end of that day, I just couldn't even stand up and I came home. I slept through the next day and the day after that, I woke up and found I couldn't breathe. Oh no. And that was the point my wife finally put her foot down. She had been encouraging me to see doctors all along And I was seeing specialists, but no one tested my blood sugar or mentioned that diabetes was a possibility. Um, And so she finally got scared enough by the fact that I couldn't breathe that she ran me to the hospital. Yeah, that would do it. That would do it. Yeah. And we got there kind of barely in time. They said if we had waited an hour longer, I'd probably be gone. Um, My blood sugar was in the 600s. My blood acidity was off the charts. And I spent a week in intensive care um, stabilizing. And it wasn't until day three or four after they they told me I had 
diabetic ketoacidosis was what my problem was. Just your blood sugar gets really acidic because you don't have any sugar to metabolize. So your body starts cannibalizing itself, which is pleasant yeah, to think it's about. Basically poison, it's poisoning itself. Yeah. yeah. So I had lost all this weight. My muscles were gone. I was basically a walking skeleton. And um, it wasn't until a few days into the hospital that they actually said type 1 diabetes. And my mind was blown because here I am, 35. You always think of type 1 as something that teenagers get or kids get. And it used to actually be called juvenile diabetes. Um, and they've changed that because adults do get it. So after a week in the hospital, I came home. And because I had been sick for so long and basically been in bed rest for six months, um, I could barely walk. I had chronic pain. Um, and like, I mean, it sounds like your disability kind of just hit you all at once. Like that episode yeah. of you not being able to breathe and the time in the ICU, just your body was like, all right, well, let's do it. All right. It was a slow decline over about nine months before that. But it's the kind of thing you just feel tired walking up a set of stairs and you kind of are like, all right, I'll just catch my breath. Um, I never really thought that my body was shutting down as much as it was. And looking back, that's one of the things that, you know, I, the whole time I was talking about pleasure on my podcast and encouraging people to do self-care and it's how far you can get away from walking your talk yeah. is one thing I'm really reflecting on now and how I really normalized feeling terrible. Well, I think because uh, when you're a podcast host, like, you know, we're both podcast hosts. So you put on this professional persona where you can detach yourself from what you're talking about to a point where... It is you're telling your story, but you're doing it in a professional manner. So you're not focused on you. You're like, I have to produce this podcast. I have to get it out. I have to say all the right things. Yeah. I have to build an audience, blah, blah, blah. And you don't start to think about yourself because you're like, the numbers have to go up. I need to make this. I need to monetize this. So you just don't, you just, like, even, like I work for myself. And because I work for myself, I often don't. Sometimes I'll go to things that I won't eat. I won't. You know, so I understand that like pressure to like always be on and always doing it without taking a moment for you. Yeah. And one of my lines is that there are no martyrs in pleasure, that we can't suffer in the name of pleasure. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was martyring myself, taking care of my wife and baby, taking care of our business. And I almost killed myself. And, you know, after I got out of the hospital, I was learning how to manage my blood sugar. I was trying to get more exercise by getting my body walking again. And it wasn't, I was at a doctor's office and the doctor said, so how are you managing with your new disability? And that was the Whoa. first time I heard the D word associated. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe it's a condition, it's an illness, it's something I can manage and live with. And starting to think about it as a disability totally blew my mind. And what's interesting is I had actually been following your work and reading about other people's work um, trying to learn about differently abled bodies just as a point of solidarity with intersectional communities. Like yeah. I really was um, impressed and learning a lot about how to be in different kinds of bodies. And I've taken care of someone with brain cancer for nine months as they were dying. And that was a huge lesson in changing bodies because his abilities were changing every day. Yeah, um, deterioration of what he could do. Yeah, his his speech, his movement. He was hemiplegic, so down one side of his body. Yeah. Um, and this was my massage mentor and a dancer, and so a very physically embodied man um, who all of a sudden had major disabilities that were changing daily. 
So it's always been a point of interest to me, but it's never been a personal experience. And living with it now, I'm about four months in, it's just completely changing the way I think about sex, but also about love and partnership and who I I am in my marriage. That's what I was so curious. When you wrote in to me and said, I want to talk about this, you you sent me a whole paragraph, not about the diabetes and the disability diagnosis part. You sent me a whole thing about how this was affecting your your relationships and your interpersonal understanding. And that's why I was like, this is going to be the greatest interview ever because, <laughs> because they get it. They understand. They want to talk about the emotional stuff. And I think a lot of what I talk about in my podcast is that we don't talk about how disability feels. And I think what would be interesting for me to know and for the, for the listeners to know is, so how do you navigate pleasure and sexuality with this new diagnosis? How, like how, I mean, I can imagine I've, I've been living with my disability from the time I was one years old, so it's something that I'm just used to. I mm. can't imagine being four months in of a disability that nobody can see. Like, you're not sitting in a wheelchair. You're not using a mobility device that I can see right now. So it doesn't look to me. You don't look disabled. So how, how, how have you been navigating all that? Slowly. And the biggest lesson I learned at first was um, the balance of giving and receiving in a relationship. I had always been the giver and the one that provided a lot of the touch, a lot of the erotic stimulation, but also a lot of the care and taking care of my wife. And all of a sudden that was completely reversed where she was taking care of me and our two-year-old daughter um, full time. And the amount of emotional shame I had about that was something I really had to get over, like asking her for one more thing, asking her for um, another mode of support when she was already doing so much. It really, I had to confront uh, the whole idea of worthiness. Like, am I worth taking care of? Doesn't she deserve better than being burdened by my sick body? Um, You know, does she love me enough that she's really willing to do this? All of these questions would keep me up at night. You know, I'd be lying in bed next to her, wondering if I should divorce her and like free her from the burden of caring for me. That's such a, wow. I mean, that's just so heavy because, and what, what you're saying is resonating with me. I'm sitting here like almost in tears because I have never had a long-term relationship. I've had really short-term quick, like let's fucking on the, I won't see you again because that's just the, the nature of, of how I was brought into sexuality. So mm-hmm. my, I have all these questions, but they're rapid fire. They're quick. So like, well, this guy want to see me again. Am I worth fucking? Am I worth being touched? Do I should I not even bother? Do you know? Do they like this? So I, I understand that, but I understand it from a very different perspective. From a very like, I I don't I haven't I've never gotten the chance to know somebody, so I can only imagine the how distraught you were in that moment when you're trying to like you know your wife loves you and you know they care for you, but you're like, well, now my body's kind of broken. How do I? What do I do? Is that kind of the, the feeling you had? Yeah, and I had to be honest with her that I actually started having suicidal thoughts because I felt like she would be better off without me. And just by being transparent about that, and the blessing was that Charlotte and I are so honest with each other. We do the podcast. We've run this business for 10 years. So there's really nothing we can't say to each other. And when I finally got up the guts to tell her, you know, that I felt just like such a burden, um that really broke the ice and, you know, there were lots of tears. Um, but I was able to see that 
this was actually the proving ground. Like she was showing me just how much she loved me. And instead of focusing on that and receiving that gift of her love, I was worried about my own stuff. You know, I was projecting my own fears and shame and that she was feeling none of that. She felt honored to take care of me. She was loving me even more than she ever had. And that we had to figure it out together. And this was the next big thing of, you know, what is my body capable of today? Um, and diabetes, you know, when we call it an invisible di- uh, disability, it really blood sugar affects every cell of your body. And so it's really about this kind of overall body feeling like when I'm dropping low, um, I start not being able to think not being able to move, not being able to walk. And I have to catch that right away and treat myself. And so there's this constant level of presence that I have to be aware of. And that is something we always talk about in sexuality of be present in the moment and notice your body sensations. And yet it's so easy to override that and be totally in our brains and not pay attention to our bodies. But I don't have a choice anymore. I have to pay attention minute to minute about how my body's feeling and medicate myself to keep myself in the safe zone so I don't slip into a coma. And so I'm trying to to apply that also to pleasure. Um, so instead of being afraid of my body all the time, use it as an excuse for radical self-care and think every moment, you know, what could I do to make my body feel even better right now? Am I comfortable? How is my pain level? What does my body need? Does it need to be stretched? Does it need to rest? Um, does it need more sugar or less sugar? And by applying that and then being aware of my pleasure as well and making my pleasure a priority still, which is, again, is something we've talked about for years. And yet when you're in pain all the time, it's hard to think about pleasure. It's like, I just want to be out of the pain and get to neutral. Yeah. Neutral is great. Like, and I think as a, <laughs> as a disabled person, I can tell you, I've been there many, many times. I remember when I was, when I was young, I had not young, but I was like 16 and I had spinal fusion surgery which is a huge fucking surgery where they put rods in your spine. Wow. And so it hurts like a bitch. There's no, there's no way to get around it. It just hurts. And you just, you're lying there in the bed and you're in pain and everything hurts and you're just suffering. And you're just like, I don't care about anything. I just want this to go away. Yeah. And so I think a lot of disabled people, we reach a point where neutral is pleasurable because yeah. there's, there's no more pain. But we forget kind of like what is pleasure. Um, so I think it's really, and I was going to say, as you were talking, I was listening and thinking, you know, it's really kind of, it's almost like, and I say this carefully, it's almost like that your diagnosis was a blessing because it allowed you to really, to force you to be in touch with your body in a whole different way and force you to like stop and, and notice what's happening right now. And I think when all of us have sex, whether we're disabled or not, we tend to just do it all in one big blur of like what the fuck is happening. And I think it would be really nice. And I might start applying this to my own sex now too, is to stop and like, okay, what are you doing? What is happening right now? You're okay. You're making out with this person. Now what's the next step? Because I think we do it in such a blur that we don't stop and focus on what we're doing. Definitely. That moment to moment presence is essential. And it's something I've been practicing for years, but doing it from a state of pain is also different, right? Um, It's easy to focus on the moment when it's about the orgasm, but when it's about managing neuropathy, managing the shooting pain. And I'm curious for you, the intersection between libido and pain levels. Um, What I noticed for myself is that the more pain I was in, the less I cared about sex. Um, 
And I had to kind of make an active choice to continue to be an erotic being, even when my pain was intolerable. Um, And so that question between sexuality and eroticism has been big for me. Um, What have you found in terms of kind of actively nurturing your libido? Uh, My libido, because sex for me is so um, fragmented, I don't get, it's not a regular thing. It's like every couple of months I might be lucky to, to kind of entice a, a boy over to do things to me. Um, <laughs> so because it's so fragmented and it happens every few months, my libido is high. And I talked about this in a recent episode. My libido is like always there. I always want it. The access to it is not so much. Um, I don't have constant pain. I have I have a disability that's constant. My pain <laughs> level is not something I have to worry about too, too much, at least right now in the progression of my disability. Um, so I'm never, I'm not worried about pain. I'm worried about sometimes the pain of sex and in my body, not being able to to be in a certain position. Um, like I've never been able to be anally penetrated because of my, because of my own fear around, um, you know, the pain of that. And how do I, how do I navigate that with the person? And how do we talk about that? And I don't want it to be with a one night stand. I want to be with somebody that I trust. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these these things, but in terms of my libido, I ha- I think it's I think because access to sex is so not I don't want to say rare, but it's it's fragmented. It's 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 not scarce. Yeah, it's not yeah. constant for me. I'm constantly searching for it, but I'm not always getting it. So my desire for it is like way up there, um, mm-hmm. but my the actual act of sex is like low, not low, mm-hmm. but it's not where I want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And for me with having, so we also have a daughter and, you know, parenthood puts its own pressures on sexuality. Um, But what we have really focused on is um, meeting one another where we're at in the moment. And sometimes that just means really gentle touch or lying close to each other and just feeling the heat of her body next to mine was all I could tolerate. But it was enough in that moment to connect, to feel intimacy, to feel her presence and her love and what's interesting, though, is it's enough for me, but not always enough for her. Yeah. Um, she's, you know, rocking being a mother and she's a horny 36 year old woman. And um, I know that I'm not meeting her needs as a lover. And that's its own mental trip um, where oh, yeah, I have that, to. That does, that does some fuckery on you when you, <laughs> when you realize that you and I've had it with when I stands when you realize that you're not you're not meeting their needs and you're not, they want to get off and they want to enjoy themselves. And then you realize that you can't provide it for them the way they want. For a minute, your brain goes, okay, I'm in this situation and I'm going to just enjoy it. But also you're like, Oh, I I can't give you what you need because of disability, because of body stuff, because of, and so that, I mean, I think why it's different for you and why it's different for me is that you, you have the chance to sit with a partner who you've grown to know and grown to love and grown to, to spend time with whereas my partners are like hey we just met on uh this app and i've met you all of 20 minutes ago or like an hour ago or we talked on some app for a week or so and then now we're coming over there's no time to like explain that maybe i won't be able to get you off the way that you want to or maybe i won't be able to do this for you and so i always try to push it down when it's when it's happening because i'm like oh don't think like that just just do the thing but you realize halfway through, you're like, oh, you can see it in their faces when they realize that you can't 
give them what they what they were after, and that that does a whole lot of mental fuckery that is really hard to explain unless you're living it. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, I think, again, it's different within a relationship, but I've really had to focus on what am I bringing to the table? What can I give her in this moment? And for you, maybe it's, you know, really intense, sexy eye contact. And that's something that no one's given them, no matter what body they're in, and you're really showing up there or, you know, dirty talk or there's so many ways we can be present as a lover. And I think this has been a huge lesson for me. You know, we always talk about diversifying the definition of sex and it's not all about intercourse. Um, But for me now, it's kind of going beyond that spectrum of how do we show up as sexual beings and as lovers that's even beyond the body and showing up with our presence and who we are as people and knowing that there's something inherently so sexy about that and so irreplaceable about you, particularly who you are, that that is a gift no one else can give. Yeah. And when you're confident from that place, like, that's unstoppable sexy, you know? But it's so, so hard to get there. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of floored by, and you said you've only kind of been dealing with this for, what, the last four months and a bit now, technically? Yeah. You know, I'm kind of floored that in a four-month period of time, you're able to, you're able to say that and feel, you know, even hearing you say that you sound really confident in that. So, like, what I'm curious about is, like, the first time you tried to engage in in sex after your diagnosis was that was the confidence did that just kind of happen or was did it did you have to build to a place where you could confidently say like I can give you I can give you something different because I mean in, in disability and sex I always say like I can bring something different to the table but it, it takes me the daily struggle to get me to be able to say that confidently so mm-hmm. as somebody who went from being quote able-bodied and, and not disabled to rapidly switching their whole life to disability, how did you get to a place where you can say that now on a podcast, sounding so like, yeah, that's what it is. Like, <laughs> it sounds like you're like, yeah, this is what it is. I, I, I guess my whole life has been preparing for this, you know, and I think, you know, you said that perhaps my diagnosis is a blessing and I'm really starting to try to adopt that mentality and not feel it as a burden um, and realize I might be a better better me because of it. Um, But one of our wedding vows, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. And one of our wedding vows was about devotion and devotion to each individual. Um, Because we had both been in polyamorous relationships, we had been in these erotic kinky communities, going to sex parties, having sex with 12 people in a night. Yeah, awesome. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, we became monogamous with each other. And part of knowing what we were giving up is saying I'm radically devoting myself to you as an individual and I'm going to go as deep as I can with you and waking up in the hospital and having my wife you know quote unquote burdened by me all of a sudden I had to remember that that includes aging and changing bodies and changing abilities and it could have been diabetes it could have been a car accident but if we are truly committed to each other that is kind of a no matter what situation. And so all of the confidence, you know, as a fat person, I had to adopt a lot of confidence um, to be a 250 pound butch lesbian and feel sexually confident. I had to go through a lot of emotional processing to show up fully as who I was. Yeah. And so I think I had already had a lot of lessons in that. Um, but really drawing on this idea that she's choosing me and whether that's choosing you for a one night stand or choosing you for a lifetime at this moment, we are two people together in the room. 
And all my only choice is to kind of retreat into shame and doubt or to show up fully and just give what I have in that moment. And I haven't been the lover that I used to be yet. You know, I haven't done her in the way I know I can and hopefully will again someday. But I've given her what I can in each moment. And that's all she's asking for. And that's all I can. That's all I have to give. I mean, that's, I like, I, what I really kind of grasped onto there was when you said two people in the room. Um, it's so hard to get to the place where you're just two people in the room. And I think we come to sex with all of these mis, all of these misconceptions and these like, popular culture ideas of what sex is and all this crap. And it's so hard for me to get to, to being two people in the room. But mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of just being two people in a room. Like that's, yeah. that's, that to me is really sexy. And I think when I look at my, my life with one night stands and with people that I will never see again, people that I can barely remember, but I, I wish that I had gotten to a place where I could say, you know what, right now we're two people in this room. Let's enjoy what this is. Getting to that point is really hard, and I think that if you can get there, and it sounds like you're well on your way to getting there, that's really cool, and that's it's really powerful that you can acknowledge that this moment's important to you, and that's why I, that's that's really why I think your your diabetes may be a blessing because it's forced you to be in that room, always in that room, and to be present in in that time space. So like, to do that and to be aware of that is, I mean, that's a gift in itself. I think to really kind of understand what that means for you and, and really dig deep into the emotional side of the sex you're having. And so I think from what you're, from what you're telling me, it sounds like you're able now to, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're able now to um, dig deep into the, the kind of emotional aspects of your sexuality and give what you can. Um, so, I mean, do you, do you want to get back to where you were before or... Are you kind of finding a new, you, you said like, you know, I can't give her what I used to give her, but are you finding a new thing that you enjoy giving her better than it was before, or is it something you want to come back to? That was a roundabout question. Yeah, I mean, I'm really trying to embrace the idea that my body is forever changed. I will always be linked up to my syringes and injections and testing, um, I mean, it's funny things like by testing my fingers so often, my fingertips have started going numb and my fingers as a lesbian are my major sex organ. (laughs) And so it's like, how do I feel about my fingers going numb? Um, It's silly things like that, but I think it is much more of a lifestyle thing in in my case Um, and managing my diabetes so I don't um, develop other conditions as well. Um, I'm still really new to it. And so the question of whether I can be healthier than I was before, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel. Right now, I'm still very weak and a lot of chronic pain. And that's not feeling very sexy to me, but I'm starting to normalize it a bit. And um, I think, again, 10 years into a relationship and with a daughter, sexuality for me is not as much about the really hot fucking and sexual kinky adventures yeah, that I used to have, fucking you know, in a, club in a dark room with the, with the whips and chains and all that. So yeah. I mean, maybe we'll get back there in our fifties. Like it's possible. Um, but for right now, like it's much more about, um, closeness and intimacy and pleasure and a much more diffuse eroticism. Um, See, so I, I don't, I don't know. I would agree with you there for me. I'm I'm 32. 
Um, but for me, even when I was 21, I was always about, I didn't need the fucking in the back room. I mean, it was, the idea was hot and like, mm -hmm. listen, if somebody wants to fuck me in the back room, I'm totally there for that. But, <laughs> but for me, it's been about connection and it's been about like getting to know somebody. And it's because when you're disabled and you require so much care sometimes, um, for me, I need to be put in a sling. I need to be put in bed. I need all these things that require, that takes a lot of emotional labor to ask for the help. Um, and so for me, it's been about getting to know the person. For me, I don't care so much about how well you suck my dick. I care more about, you know, how well you've done the sling or will you talk to me afterwards? Can we, can I, can we build a friendship? If I'm going to do this with you, can I show you myself? Like that, there's so much more to me than just getting down. I mean, getting down is fun, but I yeah. want, I, I've reached a point in my sexual journey, I think, where I want and need and require more than just I'm going to blow your dick and never see you again. Yeah. And I think this is what's true for us is true for most people. And the, the radical embodiment of disability, I think is something that really we should honor and celebrate. You know, we have to know our bodies to these very detailed levels, know what we're capable of, pay attention um, to avoid injury, but also just to be at home in our bodies and, able-bodied people, and I think I certainly was this for many, many years, have the um, the privilege and the, I'll say it, the handicap of being able to ignore their bodies until disaster strikes. Yeah. And so for me now, like the daily level of embodiment is part of my eroticism. And Audre Lorde defines eroticism as that which brings us vitality and life and makes us feel alive and awake and when we come from to sexuality from that place of how do we partner and be with other humans in a way that makes us feel more alive, more excited to be alive, more vibrant, then a beautiful, careful transfer of your body into the sling done with love is just as much sex as anal penetration. Yep. And it can be that intimate. And to find people who are willing to go there with you, I think it's it's scarce in this world because our sexuality and eroticism is so fucked up. Um, but when you find people that can meet you there, it's really magical. Um, it's like, and I've, I've said this a whole bunch of times, it's like fucking me is like finding a unicorn because I allow you a chance to, to explore a different body and... Mm -hmm you know, finding somebody that wants to do that with me, for me, is like finding a unicorn. Finding somebody who isn't afraid to try or who isn't afraid to say, I'm afraid. Like, mm -hmm. I think one of the sexiest things a guy can tell me is, and I wish they would, I wish that I was approached more this way. Hey, I see you're in a chair and I think you're kind of good looking, but I'm terrified of that. Can we talk about it? Like, then my pants mm -hmm. will be down and I'll be ready to go. Um, but yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't happen enough. And I think people are just scared and so why I love my disabled body is because it allows for you to face your fear and for me to show you something different and also for me to see to gauge whether or not I can really connect with you because if I was able-bodied I could just fuck you and leave and then we'd never have to speak about it again and I could do that as a disabled person too but that's just not that just doesn't speak to me anymore I reached like I did I did that when I was in my 20s a few times and that was fun in the moment. I was like, yeah, I did it. I guess, I guess I'm a big slut now. Yeah, good for me. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was excited by doing it because I thought that was normative. But I realized how much I wasn't getting from that experience and how much I was letting somebody in 
to my experience only to have them disappear right after. Um, so how, I mean, how have you, I'm curious, how have you let your, how have you let your, your partner into your kind of diabetes and how have, how has that transformed things for you? Well, it's interesting because she has to actively be a part of it, um, especially making sure I don't drop low during the night. Um, so she sometimes wakes me up and makes sure I'm breathing. Um, but it's this funny thing of letting her in enough to help take care of me and not feel like she's managing me and that I'm a project, you know? Yeah. Um, like sometimes when she says like, oh, have you done your insulin? I kind of snap back like, yeah, of course I've done it. <laughs> Fuck you. And she's just checking and making sure I'm safe to eat. Um, and so it's, again, this kind of receiving help and being vulnerable and knowing that she wants to take care of me while also trying to maintain my independence and make sure I'm in charge of me ultimately. Um, and, you know, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, vulnerability is so sexy and it's so much part of erotic power. I love play it and kinky. so much. It's my yes. favorite part about disability and sex. <laughs> And it's like this real vulnerability. And, you know, we try to mimic that with kinky play sometimes. Um, but when it's real between two humans, like uh, nothing can be more intoxicating yeah. than that. Um, and so I'm trying to let myself be vulnerable, which is hard for me. Is kind of like a top kind of one that likes to be in control. Yeah. Um, and I'm letting her be vulnerable in, in her fears around my disability, my disease, um, and what it means for our long-term future together and how long I'll be around. Um, so again, just cracking open that emotional conversation and be willing to go there together and sit together as wives and talk about what ifs. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough conversation. Like I've never reached a point with a partner where I've talked about what if yeah. I've never reached a point with a partner where I thought they gave a shit to stick around. I've never had a partner who wanted to stick around. So I, like I, earlier in the interview when you were talking about kind of what was happening to you, I could hear your voice breaking a bit. And I was like, oh my God, she's having a moment. So I was listening to you being like, she's getting to that place. And I think it's so kind of sexy that you can get to that place and talk about it and have a, like I think, and when I said to you earlier that your disability is a blessing, I, I want to make clear that I'm not saying it won't be hard some days. I'm not saying you shouldn't sit in that hard space and be like, fuck, I fucking hate this. I don't like, because I think what happens when we either live with disabilities every day from the time we're born or, or we become disabled. We're taught in so many different ways to overcome it, to move mm. past it, to move away from it, to not be sad about it because nobody wants anybody to be sad in society. But the trouble with disability <laughs> is that there's a lot of fucking shitty, hard things that happen to us that nobody else gets. And then when we express that we're sad about it, people go, oh, don't be, it's okay. Don't be sad about it. Don't worry. You're strong, yeah. Yeah, and inside you're like, yeah, I know I'm fucking strong, but I want to sit and be, I want to sit and cry about this. Or, like, let me just sit and be upset about this. So I think disabled people, when they're struggling with their sexuality and struggling with different types of disabilities as it affects your sex, I think you can be upset about it. It's okay to be upset. So my advice to you is somebody who is coming into a totally different disability that I have no framework for myself, but as somebody who has been disabled for a long time, I can say, like, if you're having a day where you're just feeling, like, fuckery, it's okay to feel the fuckery and, like, engage with that without feeling like you have to be happy all the time. Because people are going to come to you and say, oh, don't worry about it, just just fuck up, it's all right. 
just let's move on. Don't worry, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll you'll take your insulin and you'll be fine. Or you'll you know, do this blood test and it'll be alright. It's very kind that they want to do that, but that doesn't help you when you're sitting in the body that's not working and you just wanna be you wanna be like, you know what, I'm fucking mad about this. Let me be mad about this with you. And I yeah. think where you where we find partnership as disabled people is when you can sit with somebody like before or after sex or just as a partner and say, you know what? Can we can you sit here with me while I'm mad about this and not and not judge me and not don't try to talk me out of it. Just let me be mad. And those experiences I think and with your partner, if you haven't done that already, I would highly recommend it. Just be mad for a day. Just be upset about it. Because I think we're not allowed ever as disabled people to experience that. And I mm-hmm. think when you do, you start living with your disability and that's that's a real powerful thing to realize that some days, and I always talk about this in my work, people said, I was doing an interview recently for a magazine that's going to come out next year, and one of the questions was, well, you've said, Andrew, you want to put a positive spin on disability, and I, I reread my words, and I was like, ew, when did I ever say that? I have to, I'm going to change that. So I said in the interview, I wrote, you know, I, I want to say that I don't want to put a positive spin anymore. I want to put an honest spin. I want to talk about it honestly, and there are some days where Honestly, I fucking hate it. I don't like it. It's not fun. I don't want to do it. But that's part of the experience, and I'm going to tell you about it. So I think I hope for you, and if I can help in any way, if you can reach a point where you can just live with it, and some days are great, and some days are shit, and it's all right. And to feel all of that together will, I think, enhance the disability experience for you. Thank you. Yes, and it feels so true. And what I've known to be true is when you allow yourself to feel big emotions in all directions you feel more all around and um, allowing myself to be angry and mourn this has also allowed me to find its blessings and we become more honest with who we are. And I mean, yeah. and as queer people, I mean, we, we've, we've had to do that already. There's a lot of, we've had to already come to places of honesty, yes. but then when you tack on disability to that, it's like, holy fuck, how much honesty do I have to, like, how, how much do I have to get to? Can I get a fake for a day? Like shit. Um, yeah. So, one of my last questions for you, and I'm really curious because this has been something that I've been thinking about as we're talking. How do you think your 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 diabetes has enhanced the physical slash emotional aspects of your sex? So, like, like now that you're kind of tied to your diabetes for the rest of your life, yeah. You talked about emotional vulnerability and getting to places where you can be comfortable and living in the moment, which I think is great. But like for the act of sex, for you. Has the diabetes, like, done anything that you're like, wow, that's never happened before. That's kind of good now. Hmm. Um, I don't know yet, I think, is the most honest answer. One of the effects of diabetes is um, elevated blood sugar limits sensation to extremities, which include your genitals. And I started noticing this about a year ago where I was having less and less sensation in my clitoris and the ways I used to get off weren't working anymore. And I went back to the Hitachi magic wand and just tried to like brute force it. Like I will have an orgasm. I'm going to come today. (laughs) And no matter how much sensation I put on my clitoris, it just wasn't working anymore. And that's changing now that I have my blood sugar under control. Like things are coming back, which is always amazing how resilient the body can be in moments. Um, but I think what it's forced me to do, the the blessing I found already is tapping into full body eroticism and noticing how good a good back scratch can feel. Right. 
you know, if you really focus on it and sink into it, like that can be blissful and complete. And I've kind of always known this and always been an advocate for full body eroticism. But when your genitals are taken out of the picture, either temporarily or permanently, and I've known other disabled people who have said this, that, you know, stroking their neck brings them to climax um, or the right eye contact. And that's what I'm exploring now is like, how far can I push the boundaries of my arousal and how much of my body and my presence and my soul can I use to get turned on? And I'm excited to explore that. That's so, so cool. And I, I hope that in your podcast and this podcast will give people some, will give people pause to think about disability differently and think about it outside of just a wheelchair and a mobility device and think about what, how invisible, invisible disabilities really affect somebody. And I think it's so, what I'm really excited about for this, this episode we just did was how, how vulnerable you were and how able you were to just tell that story so newly, you know, being diagnosed. Um, I think what you, the story you've shared will give people something to draw on. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, the last question I have for you, and it's a new one that I'm kind of asking all my guests because you're the, you're the second guest I've recorded with. Um, and so I want to ask you, the, the slogan of the podcast is shining a bright light on sex and disability. So how, given your diabetes, how do you want to shine a bright light on sex and disability with that? Like, what is the, what is the thing that people don't know about diabetes and, and sex or your disability and sexuality that you want to kind of impart to them? Hmm. I would like to shine a light on the porousness of our bodies. So the interaction between food, what we take into our bodies and then our blood chemistry and how that nourishes every cell and how that nourishment of our bodies and our cells allows us to then give our gifts to the world. We're part of this cycle and we can take that for granted or we can bring really amazing presence to the fact that we eat, we shit, we breathe. It's this constant cycle of giving and receiving from the universe itself. And if we can do that more mindfully and with more pleasure, I think we can give more of ourselves to the world. And the world needs us right now. You know, we all need to give our gifts as fully as we can. So waking up a little bit and taking better care of ourselves, and that doesn't mean eating healthy all the time. I think it means balance and doing what's right for our particular bodies. But Sometimes you got to eat the piece of cake and you got to enjoy that you're eating the fucking piece of cake. <laughs> yes, but being mindful and actually enjoying it rather than using it as a form of self-punishment. I think that's, you know, how can you be present to your pleasure and sustainable pleasure? Um, but doing that and doing it mindfully and knowing that this world needs your gifts uh, no matter what your body's feeling like or looking like in the moment, like this world needs you and you can give yourself more fully to it. That's such a great way to end off. And I'm so, so happy you came on. Um, this this is such, it was such a great conversation. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Um, Definitely. And I would love to have you and your partner back on again soon. Mm, yeah, grill her for a while. That'd be <laughs> so We're going to bring you on Speaking of Sex and continue this conversation from another angle. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun and so, so... Looking forward to that. Different, for sure. Where do you live, Andrew? I live... I am just um, north of... I'm Ekma, I was going to say north of Toronto. I just moved to Toronto. Oh, great. About four or five months ago now. 
So you're around gay community. So I'm around, yeah, well, I'm starting to be, I wasn't before, starting to be more part of a, the, the culture so much. I'm not really into the scene. It's yeah. not, it doesn't really, it isn't accessible for me. So I don't tend to um, go out there very much. But I, given the work that I do, and now that, I, now that the, the online world is very accessible to me, I am part of several different communities that way. Mm-hmm. So well, in Toronto, I think, is the community big enough that there's many scenes and there's kind of more of the... Yeah, I want to say the wholesome gays. You know? There's like, well, yeah, there's like the like the like 2.5 kid gays. There's the there's the like let's go be a kinkster gay. There's like the let's go to the club every weekend. And I, I kind of fit between all of those because mm-hmm. my experience with sex has been so stilted. And while I'm 32, I still often feel like I'm sometimes 16, 17, exploring stuff for the very first time. Um, and I think, just to end off, I think that you with your disability too, you sound like I, when you said, Oh, I've only been really dealing with the diagnosis for the past four or five months in my head. I thought, Oh, she's a baby cripple. She's going to yeah. learn. Like, it'll, it'll, it'll learn. But I think you'll might learn too, that like it's, you might go back to a place of like rediscovery. And I think that rediscovery is really sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to end off and we'll talk once I hit stop, cause I have a lot more I want to say to you off yeah. the air, but thank you so, so much for coming on. Chris, it's been such a pleasure. I just can't wait. Like, such a pleasure talking to you. Um, your vulnerability is really kind of sexy, and I really, really appreciate it because it's rare. We don't get that very often. So to put this in a podcast for other people to listen to whenever they want to and to hear your vulnerability and to hear your your, your story and your, your truth around how you've navigated this is, is powerful. So I can't thank you enough. How do people... I know how to get a hold of you and I'll put all the links in, but just so they can hear you say it, how do we get a hold of you and how do we listen to your stuff and how do we connect with you? Uh, you can find us at pleasuremechanics.com and you'll find our podcast there and uh, ask us anything page where you can always be in touch with us. We have an open email policy. So if you need advice or to be pointed in the right direction for resources, come over to pleasuremechanics.com and be in touch with us. We love hearing from you. Fantastic. Chris, thank you so much for coming on as a guest to Disability After Dark. I can't wait to be on your podcast. My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. That interview really gave me all the feels. I can't say any more about it than to say that it was just a beautiful discussion with somebody who is coming to terms with their disability and learning how to navigate it. And what I really, really appreciated was, as Chris said at the top of the interview, this was the first really time that she's had a chance to really talk about this stuff with somebody so openly and so publicly uh, and letting people know and kind of coming out as having a disability. And I think having an invisible disability like hers is different from my experience. And I love that she was able, she said some things throughout that interview that really, really resonated with me. And I want to share those very briefly with you now. One of the things she said that really stuck out for me was when she talked about how she, you know, was just learning how to be two people in a room, navigating her sexuality and her disability, just enjoying the moment, navigating what is pleasurable for her versus what is pleasurable for her partner, navigating her feelings of shame, navigating her feeling, navigating all this stuff while also trying to be a mother, a wife, a producer, to work on her content, to do her job. 
all these things really resonated with me as somebody who lives with a disability and who works in this realm of sex and disability. It's not easy talking about your stuff and doing your stuff and doing your work sometimes when living with a disability. And knowing that Chris is navigating this for the first time, I felt honored that I could be there with her to hear her struggle through that and navigate through it with me on the air, kind of. And when there was a moment where her voice broke talking about her feelings about disability, her thoughts about suicide, her thoughts about being in the hospital, where I was sitting here doing the interview, listening to her, and I had her on Skype. So I'm looking right at her, and I'm just about to fall over and cry because I get it. I get it entirely. And so to have somebody be so honest and vulnerable is really, really sexy and really, really, it just made me fall in love with her work so much more. I highly recommend you listen to the Speaking of Sex podcast. Follow the Pleasure Mechanics on Twitter at Learn Pleasure. They're just fantastic. I love Chris Maxwell Rose's work so much. Um, this interview really makes you look at disability, diabetes, and invisible disabilities and sex so much differently than we have before. And I can't thank her enough for her time and her willingness to be vulnerable with me. So, Chris Maxwell Rose, if you're listening, you're a gem. Thank you so much for shining a bright light on sex and disability with me. And thank you. Just before we close today, I want to do a shameless plug. I want to let you know about my Patreon page for the podcast. I produce Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, completely independently. I do so here in my home studio in Toronto with one earbud mic and my laptop and some Audacity software that I use. That's about it. That's literally the extent of my production value. Um, I edit everything myself, which is not very a lot of editing, but I do edit it a little bit. I work really hard on it, producing episodes, getting guests, finding guests, coming up with new topics. I spend hours doing episodes and putting them together so they sound really nice, and I really am learning hard on how to make it sound even better. And I want to work on getting some new equipment, and I want to work on making the podcast monetized so that I can continue the conversation around sex and disability. This is not for me to get rich. This is not for me asking for money to become a star. This is finding ways to continue this conversation. So if you like the work that I do and if you like what you hear on this podcast, please head over to my website, andrewgerza.com. Head over to the Disability After Dark page and underneath every podcast, you can see the Join Me on Patreon button. Please click that button if you're able to donate. Whatever money you can spend a month to help make this podcast grow would be greatly appreciated from five bucks, ten bucks, two bucks, whatever you can do would really help me out and make the conversation around sex and disability shine even brighter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright notice. The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, Content, interview recordings, and title music produced and recorded by Chris Ujiuchi are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability.
Thank you.